Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. Satan is a subject that is discussed, debated, denied, doubted. Someone came to me just before the service and said that they had heard a program on the radio where they did a survey of people in America and found that only one out of ten people in America believe that Satan is real. That's why he's eating their lunch, because they don't know they've got an enemy stalking them every day of their life, somebody that's trying to confuse them. He, he wants us to picture him as a fugitive from a Halloween party. He wants us to picture him as somebody in a red suit and horns on his head and cloven feet carrying a pitchfork and a tail. Too much of our imagery and understanding of Satan has come from misconceptions in the medieval church and from Milton's Paradise Lost. So what I want us to do tonight is to look at one who is very sophisticated who is very cunning, who is the prince of darkness, who appears as an angel of light. I don't want us to be preoccupied with him because I never want to give him a platform, nor do I ever want to give him more attention than he deserves, but we need to know how to recognize our enemy. You and I have a supernatural enemy, but we also have a supernatural savior. And we have supernatural weapons to win a supernatural war. But we have to know who we're fighting, what we're fighting, and how we fight. So the first thing I want us to see tonight is the origin of Satan. <clears throat> now to save time, I've just referenced the two passages that primarily deal with this in the, New, in the Old Testament. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. The Bible does not give a detailed origin or genesis of Satan. We know that Satan is a fallen angel. In fact, he was a greater angel than Gabriel or Michael. He was an angel created by God who rebelled against God. And Ezekiel and Isaiah both tell us that he was created as an angel of light and he was the fairest of all creatures. There was none so exalted as Lucifer. He was the one who was to cover the throne. If you want to turn to Ezekiel 28, Ezekiel 28, because what the Scripture tells us in 1 John chapter 3 is that Satan sinned from the beginning. From the very beginning, he wanted to supplant and to challenge God. He wanted to take God's throne Ezekiel 28 and verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Now then, Ezekiel begins to write about these stones, and they range in color from reddish-brown to deep yellow to dark red to blue-green to clear. What he's saying is, is that Lucifer was a reflection of shining glory. 
that when one would look at Lucifer, they would see a reflection of shining glory. These stones would reflect the glory of God. That was his appearance. Every precious stone was your covering. Now look at verse 14. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. Now here's what happened. Satan was placed at the throne of God to cover it. And in covering it, Satan coveted the throne of God for himself. The created angel coveted the Creator's throne. He wanted to take the place of God. He was no longer satisfied to cover the throne of God, to be in the presence of God. He wanted to be God. He was the anointed cherub. That means he was a one of a kind. He was anointed for a specific work. And his, the word covers means he was placed nearest to the throne to protect and defend the throne of God. Now here's one who is placed nearest to the throne to protect and defend the throne, and he tries to steal the throne. And so Satan comes, and he is one who covers. He has a great, wonderful appearance, incredible appearance. And yet, he rebels. By the way, one other thing that the Scriptures tell us about Satan, among many other things, and that is that Satan was involved in praise. He no longer wanted to sing praise to God. He wanted the praise to go to himself. In fact, one way of reading those verses that talk about Satan and music is that Satan was music himself. That he surrounded the throne with himself as music and as praise, and then he wanted the praise to him. That's why Satan does so much through music because it was what he was created to honor God with, and now he tries to use it to dishonor God and to blaspheme the name of God. And that's why there is such a battle about music is because Satan is in the midst of undermining the very presence of God, and that's why he hates praise. That's why he hates for us to sing about Jesus, because it is what he was created to do and can and will never do again. Secondly, the nature of Satan. Several things. First of all, he is. Whether you believe it or not, he is. Jack Taylor said years ago, if you're not having any problems with the devil, it's because the two of you are going in the same direction. You turn around and do what God tells you to do, and I promise you, you'll meet up with him sooner or later. He is. He is not a force. He is not an influence. He is a person, a created being. He has many names and titles. He is called Lucifer, the devil, Satan, Beelzebub, adversary, dragon, serpent, god of the world, prince of this world, prince of the power of the air. 1 John 2.13 calls him the wicked one. 1 Peter 5.8 says, He is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. By the way, let me tell you something about a roaring lion. The lion that looks for its prey and roars is an old lion that has lost as many of his teeth. And he hopes by roaring he can scare his prey because he physically cannot chase the prey 
and attack the prey like he once could have, and in the roar, he wants the prey to just lay down and let him come at it. Satan is a defeated lion, but he will devour you if you listen to his roar. There are names and titles of him. He is called the accuser of the brethren, the enemy, the tempter, the fowler, the wolf, the destroyer, the thief, the father of lies, the murderer, the sower of discord. Jesus said that Satan exists in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Paul believed in the existence of Satan in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. John believed that Satan existed in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. The Bible clearly states that he is in conflict with God. Not only he is, but he is presumptuous. He is presumptuous. Satan presumes to have authority and power. He presumes to have the right to question the Word of God. He presumes to have the right to communicate with man. He communicated with Eve in the Garden of Eden. He communicated with God concerning Job. He communicated with Jesus in the wilderness. He takes a presumptuous right to communicate with us and even in the presence of God. Thirdly, he presumes to be the God. The Scripture calls him the God of this age, really the God of this era. He is the one who propagates this world system. So he presumes to be the God. Now, he is a spirit. He is a spirit. The demons are called evil spirits in Luke chapter 8 and verse 2. They are called unclean spirits in Luke chapter 11 and verse 24. He will never die. He is limited. He cannot be in the same two places at the same time. He's fast, but he's not that fast. He is a spirit. He moves in the spirit realm. Fourthly, he is filled with pride. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Five times in Isaiah chapter 14, and those phrases are listed for you in your notes, five times he says... I will. These are five reflections of pride. Five reflections of his pride and how pride dominates him and motivates him. Let's just walk through them. First of all, I will ascend into heaven. That means that Satan says, I will take the throne, the place where God dwells. I will take over God's dwelling place. That's what he means when he says, I will ascend into heaven. Secondly, he says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Now, in the first statement, I will ascend into heaven, he simply wanted to be where God is. In the second statement, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, now he wants to sit where God sits. The third statement, I will sit on the mount. That means I want to be the Messiah. I want to be the one that rules the universe. I want to be the one that takes over. I want people to bow down and to worship me like they would worship the Messiah. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. The clouds historically represent the presence of God. What Satan is saying here is, is I will get above the glory of God. Can you imagine one that is so prideful to say, I'll go above the glory of God. You can't go above the glory of God. But I'm going to go above the glory of God. That's my goal. 
to bring God's glory down and to lift up my glory. Fifthly and finally, I will be like the Most High. Satan wants to be God. Not a God, he wanted to be the God. He can never be the God because he was created. He had a beginning, although he never has an end. God never had a beginning. And to be God, you can't have a beginning and you can't have an end. And only one can be God, and that is the one who rules and reigns in heaven today. He is filled with pride. Fifthly, he is fallen and doomed. Luke chapter 10 and verse 18 says, He fell like lightning. Hell was created for the devil and his demons. Vance Abner said, Satan can't give the Christian anything, for the Christian has everything already. And he can't take anything away from us because we don't have anything in the first place. He can't promise us anything. He can't take anything away from us because he has fallen and he is doomed. Revelation 20 and verse 3 says, He will be taken and cast into the lake of fire. Now, the question comes, why didn't God just destroy Satan and we wouldn't have all this trouble? That's a good question. I don't have an answer for it. But I will give you three hunches, if you will. Number one, I think to remind us that nothing can dethrone God. There's nobody, there's no one. Let anybody say, I'll be the ruler of the world. Let the Antichrist come. Let Hitler come. Let Mussolini come. Let Stalin come. Let anyone that wants to walk through the face of the earth in flesh, let any spirit rise up and say, I'm going to take over. I'm going to be in control. And Satan is there as a constant reminder, nobody gets God's throne. Secondly, I think it's to allow man to have a free will. I think it allows man a free will. Men choose who they worship and what they worship. Marilyn Manson, who is a popular, semi-popular rock star of the day, is a witch in the church of Satan. He has a song that says, Kill God, kill your father, kill your mother, kill yourself. God has given Marilyn Manson a free will but his free will has hellish consequences for his eternal soul. Thirdly, to redeem those who don't want to rebel. I think the reason God let Satan exist is because God gave man a free will, and in that free will, he said, some of you are not going to want to walk down that path. You're going to want to choose to love me and follow me and serve me, and it'll be a reminder to you that you could have chosen some other way, but I gave you a choice, and you chose me. And you didn't rebel against me. Sixthly, he is not what you think. Satan is not what you think. Four things that he is not. First of all, he is not self-existent. Satan is not self-existent. He was created. Secondly, he is not sovereign. He is not sovereign. He rules within the boundaries that God has placed on him. He's like a dog on a leash. He's got a leash, but he's under control. Satan, if Job teaches us anything, Satan cannot do anything unless it passes through the filter of God's will. God allows it for some reason. In his sovereignty, he has allowed Satan to be the prince of the air, to be the God of this age, 
for a season. And he's letting him run wild, but he is not sovereign. Thirdly, he is not omnipotent or all-powerful. He is not omnipotent or all-powerful. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That means that the Holy Spirit of God inside of one believer is greater than all the power that Satan has because God's greater than Satan, right? So if God is greater than Satan and the Holy Spirit is God and the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us, then guess what? Greater is the Holy Spirit of God in us than he that is in the world. So, he is not omnipotent. Fourthly, he is not omniscient. He is not omniscient, which means he's not all-knowing. Now, he's good at predicting your behavior because he's been working on it for a long time. But he's not all-knowing. Uh, Jonathan, I remember something, uh, Debbie, I remember something your dad used to say. I, I, I may ask him every now and then. Ron does this too. I say, you know, what are you preaching on nights that I can't tell you? So if I tell you, then the devil will know what I'm preaching on. He said, but if I just keep it to myself, he doesn't know until I say it, <laughs> you know. There's no indication in Scripture that the devil can read your mind. Why do you think the mind is the battlefield? Because out of the mind and out of the thoughts come the actions. And there's a battleground going on inside our mind, and when our minds are dominated with Scripture and renewed in Christ, then our minds are fed on spiritual things, and we are able to act and think along spiritual lines. Satan is not all-knowing. Now, what about the operation of Satan? First of all, let's talk about how he works in the world. Turn to 1 John chapter 5, if you would, please. 1 John chapter 5, and you can turn to John chapter 8, if you'd like to. Two, two passages, 1 John 5 and John chapter 8. Satan has two strategies. He, he works in the world and he works against the church and against Christians. How does he work in the world? What does Satan do in this world? How does he operate? Well, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19 says, We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He works by control and by manipulation. He works by subversive activities. He works in this world because this world is in his control. This fallen world system is in his control. People say things like, well, if God is a God of love, why does he allow tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and disasters? God's not the one that brought all that chaos into existence. Man brought that chaos on himself when he fell in the garden and sin entered the world. There was no earthly chaos like that until man sinned. The garden was a perfect place with a perfect environment. There was no drought. There were no floods. There were no earthquakes. There was nothing like that until man sinned, and man brought chaos into the world because Satan became the prince of this world. This is where Satan has his right and his control. Now, John chapter 8 and verse 44. John 8 and verse 44.
Why is there so much violence? Why is there so much anger? Why is there so much hatred in this world? John 8, 44, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Two things. First of all, he works in the world by preventing. By preventing. He wants to prevent the gospel from getting out. He wants to prevent people from hearing. And the Scripture says that he darkens the mind and the understanding of man. Satan wants to prevent people from having the opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he does everything he can to prevent that from happening, to darken their hearts so that the gospel will appear irrelevant. That is why I think prayer is so important. Because it is in the realm of prayer that we bring God into people's lives. And I, I am convinced that nobody gets saved that hasn't first been prayed for. Because their eyes and their minds and their hearts are darkened until the Holy Spirit of God comes and convicts of sin and convicts of judgment and convicts of righteousness, then that person can't come to know Jesus until the Holy Spirit gets involved in it. That's why we need to pray for lost people. That's why we need to pray for people to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ because God needs to get in the middle of that picture. Now, he does it by preventing. He does it by perverting. By perverting. So when people hear the truth, it's not really the truth. And there's a lot of preaching and teaching that goes on that quite honestly has its origin in hell and its basis in heresy. Now, how does Satan pervert? First of all, through those who deny the Word. Through those who deny the Word. Anybody that teaches or preaches that does not believe that the Word of God is the absolute final authority of God that is authoritative, that is inerrant, it is infallible, it is non-negotiable, is not a liberal. They are lost. They don't know Jesus. Because Jesus said, you don't take one dot of an I or crossing of a T out of my word. Now, folks, listen. If a person denies that the Word of God is the Word of God, then they ultimately have to deny that Jesus is who He said He is and that Jesus did what He said He would do and that Jesus rose from the grave and that Jesus will come back and that we even have a home in heaven. Because if you say, I don't believe some parts of the Bible, then where did you get the right to judge any part of the Bible? What if the part you believe is not right? I mean, if it's open for vote and discussion and debate, we're in trouble. I'm going to go before God one day and I'm going to have to give an answer of what I did with His Word. But i tell you one thing I hope and pray He never says to me is that you backed up one inch on what I said in my Word. I don't ever want to hear that from Him. Whether it's just chiseled in granite, written on black and white, whatever you want to call it, 
It is a perversion of Satan to deny the Word of God. False teachers are just like Satan. They ask questions like, has God said? I remember when I was in uh, seminary, and I remember the Old Testament professor saying that the writings published by Broadman Press, which was the Baptist Sunday School Board, the writings published by Broadman Press were just as inspired as any book of the Old Testament. That man died six weeks later, and I'm convinced as I can be that man was lost. Two PhDs in Old Testament theology and history, but I'm going to tell you something, folks. If you don't believe what God says, then you're calling God a liar. And Satan is the father of lies. And your father is the devil. That's what John 8, 44 says. Secondly, through those who substitute error for truth. Ian Murray says, It is the oldest strategy of Satan to disfigure truth by misrepresentation. The false teachers can deny the deity of Christ. They can deny the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith. They can deny the second coming of Jesus. They can tell you, you live any way you want to live. You can worship any God you want as long as you are sincere. Basically, a false teacher will substitute error by saying, hey, what do you want to hear? Jesus said that there are going to come days when people will tell you what you want to hear. And there are churches being filled in our country right now by a watered-down gospel that tells people what they want to hear. A little religion, a little pop psychology, a little feel-good, a little Norman Vincent Peale, a little Robert Shuler thrown in, and everybody feels good and everybody feels happy, and nobody's convicted of sin. But if there is error anywhere, it is in a church that will not say sin is sin. And that's not negotiable. It's not sin. Oh, well, if it's in them, it's not sin because we like them. No, sin is sin. I read the front page of the lifestyle section of USA Today Friday. Michael English was on the front page. One of the greatest voices we ever had in Christian music. I mean, phenomenal. Won five or six Grammys. A few weeks later, confessed that he'd had an affair. He and his wife had divorced. The woman he had an affair with divorced. They'd had a baby, but the baby miscarried. He was arrested two weeks ago trying to break in the apartment of his girlfriend who is a dancer at a strip club. Now, here's the title underneath the picture. Religion screwed me up, but I still believe in God and His Word. I've got news for Michael English. He doesn't believe squat. Because you don't believe God and His Word and go to strip clubs and date strippers and then say, but I still believe in God. That's falsehood. That's heresy. That dishonors God. And you know what? It makes the world look at us and laugh that we're just a bunch of compromising idiots and we don't know what we believe. Somewhere along the line, the church has got to stand up and say, we disavow that. We don't identify with that. We'll pray for him to get right with God or to get saved, but we're not identified with him. 
because he does not live the life and walk the talk that he says. That is not honoring to God to say, oh, I honor God and I honor his word, but I'm still going to live like I want to. Satan would get us to substitute error for the truth. Now, there are three things in Romans chapter 1. Let me just give these to you real quick. Romans 1, 24 tells us that the body will be corrupted when we think that way. Romans 1, 26 tells us that the affections will be corrupted. And Romans 1, 28 through 32 tells us the mind will be corrupted if you substitute error for truth. Thirdly, he influences governments and nations. I was having a talk with a Bible teacher that if I were to name his name, you would know who I was talking about. I was having a talk with a Bible teacher about just what's going on in our country. And we were having a discussion about how George Bush lost the 92 election. And I said, you know, I'm just amazed. I said, Here's a guy who has the highest popularity rating in one of the most highest in history. Here's a guy who wins the Persian Gulf War with minimal casualties, and he gets blown away in an election. I said, I just don't understand what happened. And this Bible teacher said to me, there's no explanation except that the Scripture says there are principalities and powers in this world and I think there are powers in Washington that tell people to win and tell people to lose. Now, folks, if you don't think Satan has a grip on Washington, D.C., you've been on the backside of a desert somewhere for the last 50 years. Why does the Scripture tell us to pray for those who are in authority? Because Satan works in the realms of power and he corrupts governments, and he influences people in authority, and we are to pray for people in authority because the enemy is going after them. It's awfully tough to remain unstained by this world and get involved in all the stuff that this world is doing. I read so much. You know, well, if you're going to work the system, you have to learn to compromise. You know, I'm sure somebody in the political and religious system walked up to Jesus one day and said, you know, Jesus, you wouldn't get these Pharisees as uptight if you just compromised with them a little bit. I mean, just meet them halfway. They're on the other side of the aisle. Just walk over there and meet them where they are. Just try to get along with them. Don't, don't make Herod and don't make his crowd so mad. And Jesus stood on that side of the aisle and he pointed and said, you're of your father the devil. Now, that is not the way to get legislation through. I just want to tell you that right now. But there are some clear-cut lines, and we have got to go back to clear-cut lines. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. How does he work in the church and on Christians? First of all, he causes doubt. He causes doubt. Spurgeon said, wherever God has his church, the devil has set up a chapel. He causes doubt. In times of pain, he tries to convince us to doubt God's love. 
In times of temptation, he tries to convince us to doubt God's provision. In times of trouble, he wants to convince us to doubt God's fairness. He causes doubt. Secondly, he persecutes the church. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. He persecutes the church. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Did you know that more people have been martyred for the faith in the 20th century than all previous centuries combined? You know, Satan is so stupid, he hadn't figured it out yet. The more he persecutes the church, the more it grows. The church is built on the blood of the martyrs. There are more Christians in China today than there were before the communists took over. Why? Because the gospel grows in times of persecution more than it grows in times of prosperity. The persecution of the church. Thirdly, he seeks to hinder the work of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.18, For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. He seeks to hinder the work of God. Fourthly, he joins the church. As Havner said, Satan's no longer fighting churches, he's joining them. Well, let's talk about how he joins the church. First of all, with imposters. With imposters. People who claim to be Christians and are not. You may not be aware of this, but the church of Satan is planning people in strategic churches in America to claim to be Christians, to undermine and to disrupt and to destroy those churches. That is a part of their mission statement. That is a part of their agenda to plant Satanists inside of evangelical churches so that they can destroy them. Secondly, by infiltrating the leadership. By infiltrating the leadership, this is where the tares come up among the wheat. By infiltrating leadership. I've gone on record several times as saying this, and I'll, I'll go on record with it again. Anybody that ever wants power in this church will never get it as long as I'm pastor. Not because I've got power, but because the Spirit of Jesus is about humility and service. And if you want power... Power corrupts, and absolute power absolutely corrupts. And I think it is a dangerous thing when people try to play. I talked to somebody this week whose pastor has been there for 20 years. And there are four deacons, after he's left, there are four deacons who said this. Now that he's gone, we're going to run this church like we've been wanting to run it for 20 years. Now, you think that's of God? Four men waiting and stewing and festering, hoping to get power. What that deacon body ought to do is dismiss those four men from the deacon body and probably take them out of the church membership because they and that spirit will destroy a church. That is a spirit of Satan inside a church. Thirdly, through false teaching. Through false teaching. One of the reasons I think it is important to have expository preaching and to do Bible study 
is because it will cover a lot of the false teaching. It will deal with it. It will address it. It will confront false teaching. Next, through division, through division, through murmuring, through gossip, through power plays, through lack of respect, through backbiting, whatever it might be, through division. I want to tell you something, folks. Satan's written a book on how to wreck churches. Any of you ever been in a church that's been wrecked? He's written a book on it. He knows how to do it. He knows how to infiltrate, and he knows how to use insinuation and innuendo, and he always hides in the dark. Now, let me just chase a little devil rabbit here just for a minute, all right? I get real concerned when I hear people say things like this. There are people who are upset. They are concerned. Hey, do you know who hides in the darkness? Satan. If you can't follow biblical direction and go to the person that you're concerned about or address the thing that you're concerned about in a biblical way, then you're cooperating with the division of the church. Next, through discouragement. Through discouragement. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Satan has destroyed more churches through discouragement than he has through alcohol. And alcohol is wrong too, but I guarantee you he's destroyed a lot of churches through discouragement. A church gets discouraged and it gets down and it gets defeated and they become depressed about their environment, about what's going on, and all of a sudden discouragement takes over. Next, through immorality. Through immorality. Making sin acceptable. Turning our heads to sin. Next, through prayerlessness. Through prayerlessness. Just talking about prayer but never praying. Next, through remorse without repentance. Through remorse without repentance. We're sorry for what we do, but you see, repentance means a change of behavior. And if your behavior doesn't change, you haven't repented. You're just sorry you got caught. There has to be a change of behavior. Lastly, through activity instead of revival. Through activity instead of revival. We just get all busy in our church work, and we get busy, 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 doing, 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 and we never go after God for revival. And by the way, when there's revival, there's also a revival of satanic activity too. Don't be naive, folks. Don't be naive, church. One of our deacons asked a great question in deacons meeting a few weeks ago. He said, if anybody's complaining, ask them, do they have an hour in the prayer chapel? Because I'm going to tell you something, folks. You get to spend an hour a week in the prayer chapel on your face with God, and you'll find out you've got enough sin in your life to quit worrying about everybody else. And God will certainly talk with you and talk with me about what's wrong with us when we get before Him. Now, how do we overcome Satan? Charles Usher says there could be no permanent victory in the lives of God's children until they see and appropriate the fact that Satan was defeated at Calvary. The church of God as a whole will not be able to face the satanic flood tide by which it is confronted unless it learns to wield the power and victory that Calvary gives in a clear and ringing testimony to the defeat of Satan. 
Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 says, Through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, even the devil. That word destroy in Hebrews 2.14 means to make no effect. To make no effect. Now let me give you four things that you need to do to overcome Satan. And then there's three points under the last one. First of all, be alert. Hey, just be alert. Just don't walk around in la-la land. Oh, you know, the devil's not going to bother me. You know, prayer day keeps the devil away. <laughs> prayer day will bring him right on your doorstep. Be alert. Be on guard. Be watchful. Secondly, appropriate the victory through faith. It's not your victory that defeats Satan. It's Christ's victory that defeats Satan. Appropriate victory. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Thirdly, Fight, the, fight by faith. Fight by faith. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. James 4, 7. Stand against the wiles of the devil. Ephesians 6, 11. You see, you have to fight by faith because while Satan is vanquished, he has not vanished. While he is present, he does not prevail. We fight by faith. Fourthly, stand on the promises of God and the blood of Jesus. Now, turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. Stand on the promises of God and the blood of Jesus. Spurgeon said, I've never won an inch of the way to heaven without fighting for it. Revelation 12, 11 says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and because of the word of their testimony and they did not love their life even to death. Three things that are mentioned in Revelation 12, 11 on how you and I overcome Satan. Number one, by the blood. By the blood. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. It is by the blood that we have been bought. It is by the blood that we stand. It is by the blood that we have access to the throne of God. It is by the blood that we are cleansed. We overcome our enemy by the blood of Jesus. His blood makes our victory possible. Secondly, our testimony. Our testimony. We are to have a blood-bought, God-glorifying testimony. By the way, if you don't have a good testimony, you won't walk in victory. You have to walk in victory with a good testimony. Thirdly, our attitude. Our attitude. Notice what he says. They did not love their life even to death. Now listen, when you take fear out of the hands of Satan, you have won a major part of the spiritual battle. See, Satan gets us by fear of what will happen to us if we stand for God, by fear of losing our lives, by fear of losing our business, by fear of him attacking our family. And Satan operates in the realm of fear. If I do this, I'm afraid of what will happen to me. Right? I mean, if I fight, if I fight this, if I stand, if I act on faith, if I do not fear for my life, if I overcome by the blood, if I do that, I'm afraid of what happens to me. If you can ever take fear out of your life, then you'll walk in a different realm of spiritual living. Because you see, if Satan comes up and whispers to you one day, you do that and I'll kill you. So what? I'll get to go to heaven. 
If you do that, I'll hurt you. Hey, I, Jesus is a great physician. If you do that, I'll spin you around. You won't know where you're going. Hey, I've got the good shepherd. I'll put your life in turmoil. I've got the bomb of Gilead. I've got everything I need. You can't do anything to me that God doesn't allow, and when God allows it, he also brings his Holy Spirit in to take care of me in the middle of it. See, folks, Satan is a defeated foe. But you need to know how he works because I'm going to tell you, he's quick, he's smart, and he's on your case. Those of you that were at our wild game banquet a few years ago with John Morgan, remember him telling about hunting the black-maned lion. I want to quickly close with that story. Not as well as he tells it because he spent three weeks stalking it in Africa. It was a huge black-maned lion that he was stalking. He said, now the thing about a black-maned lion, the thing about a lion that they will do is he said, let's say that you're out there and you're on a hunt and you've got six Africans and you've got uh, four hunters. The lion is off in the edges watching. He sees you long before you see him. And as he looks out and he sees the six African guides and he sees the four hunters, he makes a decision. Whether he's going to go after one of the Africans or one of the hunters. Then once he's made the decision whether he will go after the Africans or the hunters, then he decides which one. And once he begins to move in for the kill, you have to kill him because he will pay no attention to, if he decides to go after one of the hunters and he decides to go after this one over here on this end, he will pay no attention to the six Africans. They can throw spears at him. He will pay no attention to the other three hunters. They can shoot at him. He has his focus. He has his bead. He has his aim and his mark on that one. And the only way you're going to keep him from getting to that one is to kill him. There will come a day in your life when Satan will say, all these people in Sherwood Baptist Church. Today, I'm going after you, or 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 you. And when he does, he will release all hell on your life to try to destroy your testimony. You say, well, he hadn't done it to me yet. Give him time. Before you breathe your last breath, if you are a living testimony for Jesus Christ, he will come after you with everything he's got. And he will try to destroy everything about your life so as to bring shame to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's done it too many times for us to think he wouldn't do it with us. And by the way, the more influence, the more position, the more power, the more impact you have in this community, in your school, in your job, wherever you go, the more people know you, the higher risk target you are. So if you don't have anything to do this week, I'd appreciate you praying for me. Because I'm going to tell you something, folks.
Satan does not want this church to succeed. Every day you get up, every waking hour, you need to remember one thing. Satan is plotting and planning who he can get to within this church family or who he can bring into this church family to destroy this church family. So keep your guard up. Keep your knees on the ground. And keep your eyes on Jesus. Because greater is he that is in you than that lion who's stalking you right now. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Catt. For more information about Sherwood, visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. Thanks for listening and join us next week for another podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church.